listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at ACB. Um, joining you again from my condo. Quarantine continues on, but we're excited to continue to bring you guys information regardless. Uh, as always, if you guys have any advocacy needs, please feel free to reach out to Clark and myself. You can email us at advocacy at acv.org. We know a lot of stuff is still going on with COVID, especially a lot of advocacy needs, so please feel free to reach out to us. And um, without further ado, I'm going to jump into our speaker this week. Uh, ACV is really fortunate to have a great relationship with the American Foundation for the Blind. I work with several of their employees on a pretty regular basis. And today we're going to be talking about a project that we have the awesome opportunity to work on with um, AFB. And one of our, I should say, our speaker today is an employer of AFB. Um, so before we really get going, Penny, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I was asked, tell us a fun fact about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What's a fun fact? Sure. I'm Penny Rosenblum. I'm the director of research at the American Foundation for the Blind. And probably the funnest fact about me is that I really enjoy riding my bicycle. Um, so that's not very fun, but I do do it regularly. I've also been to all 50 states in the United States. Idaho was my last one in 2012. And I made my husband stop the car so I could have a picture of me with the Welcome to Idaho sign. That's a good one. I like that. I think I'm at about 30, so I still have a ways to go. So very impressive. <laughs> um, cool. So thank you for introducing yourself. Um, so kind of by way of more, uh, more introductions, but to my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of the research that you work on, or at least as it applies to what we're talking about today, has a lot of relationships to education and that kind of thing. Is that your background? Did you go to school for education? Talk a little bit about your research. Um, sure, Claire. So um, like many of your listeners, I happen to be a person with low vision and uh, received services from a teacher of students with visual impairments as I grew up in New Jersey. So that kind of got me interested in the field, wanted to follow in one of those teachers' footsteps. Became a teacher of visually impaired children, which I did for several years in the late 80s and early 90s before realizing I could make a bigger impact on the lives of our students with visual impairments by helping prepare high quality teachers of students with visual mm. impairments. So I spent um, about two decades doing that for a short time at Florida State University and then at the University of Arizona here in Tucson, where I, I now live. Uh, while I was at the University of Arizona, I had the opportunity to dive more into research. So from 2012 to uh, the end of 2019, I ran two research grants where we looked at how to support students with visual impairments at the pre-algebra level. So typically sixth, mm -hmm. seventh grade students. Um, so that they were more um, successful in math. Our first project, Animal Watch VI Suite, which is a free app available from the American Printing House for the Blind, helps students with their math word problem solving skills. And our second project is called Animal Watch VI, Building Graphics Literacy. And we develop materials to help students be more efficient in getting information from things like bar graphs and line graphs and maps. So my interest in research um, naturally led me to the position at the American Foundation for the Blind as the Director of Research 
which I began a mere three and a half months ago um, on January 6, 2020. I love it. So you uh, were thrown right in and already doing some great work. That's, that's awesome. So, um, so let's talk about, you know, why we're talking today. Um, AFB is always doing a lot of great research, um, but specifically this week, um, we're recording this on Friday. It'll go out the following week, but just two days ago on Wednesday, April 22nd, a new research project was launched. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, to my understanding, it has connections with COVID, which is extremely timely. So can you talk about that? Sure. So this is not an AFB project. I want to be real clear on this. Um, this survey is called Access and Engagement, and it's actually a collaboration of 19 organizations, agencies, and companies, mm -hmm. um, and universities. So um, it, ACB and ACB are, are partners in this, a collaboration along with 17 others, um, including ACB REP and AM, APH and AER, and we could go on with the entire alphabet soup. Um, I was going to say visual impairment organizations and companies such as Vespero that makes JAWS and um, ZoomText. Mm -hmm. um, on this collaborative effort, what we're looking at is how is COVID-19 impacting the education of our students with visual impairments? And specifically, we're talking about children birth through um, when they exit school. So students who have either an individualized family service plan if they're birth to three, an IEP, Individualized Education Program, if they're um, three to when they exit, in some states that's 21, in some states that's 22, some students you know, graduate high school on a four-year diploma, um, or if they have a 504 plan under the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Mm -hmm. And we are looking for families to participate or guardians, the person who knows that child's education best, and we have their survey available in English and Spanish. We also um, have, um, want to gather information from teachers of students with visual impairments and orientation and mobility specialists. And we make it really clear in the information that's posted at accessengagement.com, yes, accessengagement.com, that we want to hear from all families, all TBIs, all O&M instructors, even if there is a child right now who's not getting educational service or there's a professional who's not providing service. We want to understand why these children aren't getting education or these professionals aren't working with the families and children. That's great. Do you have, I know, you know, you're just in the collecting data stage, but do you guys have any kind of like preconceived ideas of what might come out of it or is it completely, I know it's such a new and unknown area and none of us, you know, had any idea how COVID would impact our lives, but do you guys have any theories that you're expecting to find out or? Sure, Claire. So um, just for your listeners, um, it's not too late. Um, the survey is open until May 13th of 2020. So we really encourage you to go on if, if you meet the criteria of family member, um, teacher students with visual impairment and or orientation mobility specialist. And if you know others who may not be aware of it, um, please share the survey widely. Um, that being said, what we hope to find out is why some students we know are not getting education, but why are they not getting education? Is this a district policy? Is this that materials were not accessible and other children in the district are getting education? So that's one of our leading questions. For our students who are getting educational services, we wanna know how. Are these online? Mm -hmm. Are they 
being tech or families being texted, are students attending the general ed class and maybe the teacher students with visual impairments is, is also on there, making sure that the student has access to materials. Um, how are O&M services being delivered to, to our students, especially our students who are more advanced in their travel skills? I don't know about you, but um, right now as a, as a non-driver, uh, it's been a long time since I've been on a city bus um, because yes. I, I would here. be very nervous yeah. to do that. Um, so how, yep. how Woods may teach um, bus skills to a student um, when we can't get on buses. For yeah. our students who are, are multiply impaired or deaf blind, um, much of their education and our young children especially is very hands-on. So how as a teacher of students with visual impairments or an O&M instructor, when I'm very used to being hands-on and that child needs that type of approach in learning, how am I able to convey that information to the family so they can support that child? And how am I adjusting activities so rather than working on a route in the school, you know, what, what's an alternative activity I can have that child to work on to begin to build their mental mapping skills or practice the skill of squaring off, for example? Yeah, it's just, it's really interesting, a lot of unknowns. And I'm going to be curious to see what the data shows and even just anecdotally from the greater blind community that I'm part of how it's gonna impact people. Cause I think it's so true for all of us who are blind or visually impaired. So much of what we do um, is really hands-on based and it really helps to be hands-on. So when you're doing it remotely, it's gonna be so interesting to see how it impacts people because it is, it's a totally different model. So I'm excited to see, see what the, the research shows and hopefully we'll learn from it and can then use it in hopefully never the same situation, but potentially in other ways. So, exactly. so you talked to, yeah, you talked a little bit about um, how people can participate. Can you um, uh, give us again where people can go to participate? And before you do that, I can also say to all of our listeners, uh, Kelly Gask, our um, executive assistant and media, media specialist, has sent out and shared the information on this survey. So we have put it out before. So if you have any questions, we can get that to you. Um, but Penny, do you mind sharing a little bit about, again, where people can access this or point other people toward where they can Absolutely. access this? Absolutely. It's um, one big um, uh, line here, access engagement, A-C-C-E-S-S. E-N-G-A-G-E-M-E-N-T dot com, C-O-M, accessengagement.com. And when you first log in, you have the option to select Spanish if, if you are a Spanish speaker and would prefer to view the site and take the survey in Spanish. Great. So once we've collected all the data, what comes next? What is the conglomeration of organizations plan to do with this? I mean, obviously data itself is great but is there gonna be a report? What's, what's the next step? Sure, well, the person who originated this idea is Dr. Tina Hertzberg at the University of South Carolina Upstate, um, who runs the visual impairment program there. And um, University of South Carolina Upstate is one of the 19 um, entities that are collaborating in this project. So Dr. Hertzberg and I will be leading the data analysis team um, okay. We anticipate Dr. Tiffany Wild from Ohio State University will be joining us and, and a few other folks um, that have expressed interest. So we're firming up that data analysis team. So the first thing we'll do is we'll go through the data and we'll, we'll look at the typical things you look at, how many people responded and where do they live and that kind of stuff. 
but um, we're collecting a lot of what we call qualitative data, those open-ended questions you get where, you know, how has COVID-19 impacted your child's <laughs> education? Um, yep. So this will take us a little while to analyze. So initially we'll be putting some results on the accessengagement.com website. So when you go on there, you'll see there's a tab for results that says coming soon, week of May 20th. Um, <laughs> but we will use the data to um, develop a, a more formal report. I'm anticipating also some presentations and journal articles. But really what we wanna do is to be able to share this data in a meaningful way with administrators, with teachers, with policymakers, so we can look at what's working right now for our students in these unprecedented mm -hmm. times, but what can we learn from what's going on or in some cases not going on, and how can we use that information to better shape how we provide students with visual impairments from birth through um, the time they exit K-12 education with quality education um, including online, um, but what, what else do we need to do? What have we learned from this? What policies do we need to put in place that will ensure that our students always have access to and are engaged in education, regardless of whether that's within the brick and mortar school building or in an alternative format, such as an online environment? What a great thing to come out of it. I mean, I think all of us are frustrated and ready for COVID to be over, but what a great thing to use a, a frustrating and difficult time to glean hopefully very powerful information that we can use in the future. So way to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons kind of thing. It's great. Now, did I hear you correctly? I know you said the survey can be finished through the 13th, May 13th, and you said the report will be out by May 20th? Well, we'll, have some, later? we'll have some initial data the week of okay. May 20th. Um, I'm hoping by the end of June, we'll have a report okay. um, that will be much more comprehensive. Um, Claire, I don't know if your listeners know, but I bet you some of them participated in the Flattened Inaccessibility Survey, where yeah. we're looking at the impact of COVID-19 on adults. And that survey um, was available April 3rd to the 13th. And later today, it's April 24th here, when you and I are recording the podcast, um, we'll be putting out just a little tiny snippet about what we've learned from that study. And, and we'll continue to update on that flattened inaccessibility.com site um, as we learn more from that study. So really the first study about adults' experiences has led to the second study about the experiences of children and professionals. That's great. Thank you for sharing that because that was another survey. We were um, happy to support and put out information. And uh, we, as the, the data comes out and reports come out, ACB will make sure that we share links to that on our social media pages and things like that so people can, can learn more about what was gleaned from those, those surveys. So yeah, um, is there anything else that you think would be um, interesting or important for our audience to, to know about as they kind of think about these issues and learn about these issues? Well, I think it's important for all of us that have visual impairments, and I'm including myself as a low vision person here, um, to, to know that we're not alone. Mm. Um, your, your experience um, is different than my experience, and my experience is different from somebody else's experience, um, yet we all have commonalities. And there are times, I think, where all of us, whether we have a visual impairment or not, are feeling you know, a little down, a little isolated, a little uncertain about the future. And then when you 
put our visual impairments on top of that and we get into issues around transportation and access to healthcare, it can be very overwhelming. So I really want to encourage listeners to, to make sure that they're taking good care of themselves. Um, at the same time, as you are experiencing challenges or frustrations, going to your consumer groups or other um, entities that you're a part of and let's get a collective voice is so important because we are a, a low incidence, a small group of people within the disability community. Um, and for us to ensure as people with visual impairments, family members of children with visual impairments, that we do get our needs met in, in you know, disaster type situations like COVID-19, we really need to have one united voice. I'm a firm mm. believer of the saying Helen Keller has, um, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. And both the flattening accessibility and the access engagement surveys have really shown how quickly organizations such as AFB, ACB, and the rest of the alphabet soup have come together to recognize that these are unprecedented times. and we need to to get one united voice um, to support how individuals with visual impairments are um, being considered um, during COVID-19. Thank you, that was so well put. I really like that, it's, it's true. Well, um, I just wanna thank you so much uh, for speaking with us today. I'm really excited about all the research being done. You know, like we said, it's it's tough that we have to do the research, but and it's tough that we're in this situation to begin with, but I'm excited to see that, you know, out of a difficult situation, we'll learn a lot about how to work with, you know, people with visual impairment as well as children with visual impairments. So um, I, it'll be excited to see what comes of it. So thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me, and I, I wish all your um, listeners um, that this is a safe time for them and good health to them and their families. Thank you for inviting me today. Of course. Thank you. So as always to our listeners, um, please feel free to email Clark and myself at advocacy at acb.org. We really want to know what's going on. If you're having any issues, both COVID related, but not COVID related, we're here to advocate on behalf of people who are blind and visually impaired. So again, reach out at any time. That's what we're here for. We might be working from our couches at home, but we're still working. So please reach out to us. And as we always say to our listeners, Keep advocating. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Oh. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.